This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Well, amen. Somebody say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Yeah, I'm so glad to see you guys here today. If we've not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Landon, and my wife Kelly and I have the great privilege of pastoring this church. Uh, we've done four amazing things in our life that precede you. One is getting married, and then three kids, and then you. You guys are right there. You're in the top five. So we are are so grateful uh, to have church with you today. And, and man, Summer showed up with a vengeance, didn't it, this week? Uh, so hopefully you stayed in the water and enjoyed um, at the beginning of what is going to turn out to be a reminder of hell for us for the next uh, eight weeks. You don't want to go there. I want to say welcome to everybody who's here for the very first time. Church, let's say welcome to everybody that's here for the very first time. So glad to have you. <coughs> Inside your worship guide that you received from some smiling faces when you walked in uh, the worship center is a connection card. Uh, we'd love for you to fill that out and tell us you were here today. So uh, Kelly and I can send you a personal letter and, and say thank you for being here and also offer to you some next steps if you'd like to take those uh, here in this body of believers. And then don't forget at the end of uh, the message today, we go into what we call response time. You know, what we do up here on the platform is not a performance. Uh, it is not a, um, uh, just a presentation. It's not a speech. Um, it is sharing God's word with you uh, to give you uh, something to think through and wrestle with and pray about. And so what we do at the end of every service is the prayer partners will be down here. There's always communion on both sides right here by the subwoofers. And then right here in the middle, uh, there's going to be a bunch of prayer partners. And at the end of every single service, uh, we invite you to come down, get prayer for anything and everything. Nothing is too small, nothing is too big. How many of you know God cares about every single part of it and he wants to meet you where you are? Um, but when you take a step in the natural and do the scary thing of walking up to the front, you're like, Landon, why couldn't you put them in the back? Because that's retreat. You got to take a step forward and come and have someone that you don't know probably pray a prayer of faith and courage over you. And so that is going to be something that happens at the end of the service uh, today. We're in week number two of a summer series. We go to summer school every year as a church. We don't lay back in the summer. We learn in the summer. And this year, we're doing a sermon series called Scent. And we're doing it off, uh, based largely out of this book um, named Scent. And we love for you to purchase that book. And for all of my non-readers in the room, uh, it's small. And the words are big. Um, there's no pictures. Maybe next year. Uh, but there's but there is a lot of great, great, great content. And what's funny um, is, and how God works <laughs> is there are some illustrations in that book that since I've read the book twice and have been getting ready for this message series, uh, those stories in that book have been happening to me. Uh, and it's very, and I'm going to share some of those over the next couple of weeks. And um, and so leaning in to this content is going to change not only how you see your walk with God, but it'll change how you see the church and what the church is and what your purpose in life is. And so we want you to dig into that. It'll have the power to transform how you see your walk with God. 
Last week, we learned a profound truth that has become our focus um, for this entire series. We learned that as disciples of Jesus, not just mere church attenders or believers, as disciples of Christ, which is those who hear him and obey him and follow him, we are sent people. Somebody say, I am a sent person. We are sent. So saved equals sent. In the Bible, there is no uh, small little italics at the bottom. There's no, it doesn't say, well, once you receive Jesus, if you are an Enneagram type three, seven, or eight, then you're sent. It doesn't say that. It says if you're saved, you're sent. There, there are people God is sending you to. And, and you may not realize that he's already sent you there. You just haven't come awake to it yet. We also learned that most of us do not share our faith with others. And last week we learned the top five reasons why. So if you weren't here last week or missed it, go back and watch it on YouTube or uh, listen to it on Spotify or iTunes. And we learned this stat that 47% of Christians believe that it's wrong, morally wrong, to share your faith with someone else. And a lot of this is probably because of the coexist culture, that there's a lot of highways to God and just Christianity's one of them, which we know is completely untrue. But 47, half of, half of Christians believe that it's morally wrong to tell somebody else about Jesus. That statistic might be one of the most troublesome that I've ever brought to you from this platform in eight years. It is, an, it is a very sad reality. And, and I believe at this church that statistic is not 50%. I've, I hear stories of you guys doing things all the time and meeting people. Some of you are here today because someone invited you here today um, and they met you at HEB or somewhere. How incredible uh, is that? And I'm glad to have you here. But if we could um, all get on the same page, that we know that God is scripturally, in, in the Bible, which is absolute truth and not up for debate and it's not relative to your emotions at the moment, or cultural ideology bends it. It is absolutely true all the time that in Scripture, God is always at work to lead people into right relationship with him through salvation in Christ and to show them their purpose in life. And he's inviting you to be a part of that plan. Somebody say amen to that truth. That's incredible. You and I are sent people, and God has sovereignly placed you in that HOA. God has sovereignly placed you there. I met somebody the other day that moved here from the military and, they, and they've never lived in Texas. And they, <laughs> they were like, what is it with Texas and, HO, Texas and HOAs? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, people don't tell me I live in church. They say I live in Cibolo Valley Ranch. And I was like looking for the city of Cibolo Valley Ranch just turns out it's just 500 homes on 1103. You know, I'm like, yeah, well, it's like we, we do have all these little sub pockets, you know, and hopefully there's never a civil war between all the HOAs. But if you do, I live in Belmont Park, so come hang out, y'all. You know, we, I know all the dudes in the neighborhood that have guns. All right, but we know. We do know that God has sovereignly placed you right there. God has sovereignly placed you in that neighborhood. God has sovereignly put you next to that neighbor. God has sovereignly put you on that sports team. God has sovereignly put your, your, you in that workplace because he sent you there on purpose 
for a purpose, and the purpose church said a big loud, amen. And if we're willing to live this exciting life of true Christianity and allow our answer to God to be yes, then we will begin living what the Bible calls an abundant life that has making a difference type of potential. So let's, let's pray. God, would you do something right now in this moment? As we set our hearts on you and set our hearts on this moment, would there be no confusion in the room? Would there only be clarity? And would we see your heart for your people that you created in these next couple of moments? In Jesus' name, amen. I applied for my first job when I was 14. Well, sort of. I wanted money, and my parents refused to give it to me. <clears throat> I wanted money to buy a truck. And my best friend's dad owned an oil-filled machine shop uh, where they made parts for oil rigs and, and drilling platforms. <clears throat> and there, there were a lot, um, I remember we, when I was like in junior high and, or even the end of elementary school when I would go hang out with my friend Scott and his dad owned this machine shop. We would just run around. I mean, we were, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old. We'd just run around and steal Cokes out of the break room and, you know, just, it was a, there was nothing else to do in Odessa, so we just ran around and stole things. And, and I remember this place was, I mean, it was dirty. If you've ever been in an oil-filled machine shop, I mean, they're disgusting. I mean, it's like there's, there's oil everywhere, metal shavings everywhere. I mean, metal shavings flying everywhere. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is a very dangerous place for a kid to be running around. Um, but we would hang out there a lot. And, and I remember looking around, I'm like, this place is really dirty. And I remember one of the guys like kind of tripping and falling because of the oil and almost landed in a lathe. I don't know if you don't know what a lathe is. He would have died. Um, and, and, he, and he was really mad. He was cussing and yelling and screaming, like threw something at the wall. And I was like, dude. <laughs> I was like, uh, but I remember asking my, my friend Scott, his dad, I remember asking him, hey, um, do you have anybody to clean said floor? And he's like, well, the guys are supposed to, you know, but, but, but they don't, you know. If I get somebody around here, I was like, I'll, I'll do it. I was 14, and, and he just gave me a broom. He said, fine. I was like, like I, I start now? He's like, right now. Like, so me and my buddy Scott were just sweeping floors. I did that for two years. Sweat machine shop floors for two years, and, and I never knew what my title was. Perhaps it was sucker uh, or, or skinny sweeper boy. Whatever it was, I got paid every Friday at 4 o'clock in cash because it's illegal to hire children under 16. <laughs> Even though I didn't know my title, I knew my job. And I look back at how rewarding that was and, and the foundation that it laid for my life. And I look back at it with gratitude. And as Christians, you and I almost have the opposite story going on. We know who the boss is. We know what he does. But we kind of just meander around the oil and shavings or the lobby of life, if you will, not knowing our role, not knowing our job description, not knowing our focus or that we even have one or need one. And, but we're still hoping to get paid or get blessed as we purposely wander through life. 
And, and I believe that that's a travesty that uh, the enemy has confused our role as Christians to that of spectator. But we're really trying to change that. And that's why you see we have a very high percentage of people that serve on the dream team. I think it's about probably almost 70% of our adult attenders serve on a team every single Sunday. And the American average, by the way, is under 20%. And so you guys have gotten a hold of the truth that your life matters for more than sitting your butt in these uncomfortable chairs for an hour and 20 minutes a week. And, and that's incredible. And there are other people that live right next door to you in said HOA that could benefit from the truth that you now have. And, but we're, we're a little confused about like, how do I do it? Like, do I just go door to door and tell them I'm not a Mormon? Like, what do I do? Right? It's confusing. But God word, God's word actually tells us what our purpose is and what the payoff is. And guess what? Even your start date. So let's dig into that a little bit more. God's word provides four powerful titles that serve as metaphors to help us understand who we are in Christ and what we are to do more fully. So we all know, I've already said, living on your street wasn't an accident. Knowing that neighbor, meeting them um, at an event, at a neighborhood event or the pool or seeing the same person at H-E-B every day or seeing the same person walk their dog every day on a schedule, that those are not accidental moments. We do not believe on in accidents at the purpose church. These are all appointments. As a sent person, making ourselves available to people is part of true Christianity. Well, Lane and I'm an introvert. Funny enough, I kind of am too. So making ourselves available to people can be difficult. But we are to love people here where God placed you. We are to be available to people here. We are to be talk to people about Jesus here. And by here, I mean your schools, your workplace, your neighborhood. That is what we're here for. So imagine, if you will, God is the one who sets up the appointments. He's the one that's getting all the people together because he knows them because he created them. And he knows you're there. And he's setting up these appointments, but we're the ones that have to show up to work. We're the ones that got to get there. Remember what we learned last week, embodied truth. Like embodying the truth that you're a sent person becomes so much more stronger to you than personality or emotion. So if you are a quieter personality, uh, that this truth is still applies to you. And guess what? God is such a good God. He's not going to send you as a quiet personality into the room full of a bunch of boisterous people. There might be one person he's needing you to speak to that year, and it might just take a long time. We'll let God determine that, but you have to show up. God sovereignly places you in places, and you show up with your yes, and then he moves through those moments. He sets it up. He resources you. He allows you and me to be part of it. That is such a powerful thing. In the New Testament, you and I will see four metaphors that God uses to help us understand these roles in a figurative sense. And they hold great power. Let me say this. We're not choosing one. I'm not going to read these four to you and go, oh, yeah, I'm that one. No, we are to be all four. You might more closely relate to one. I'll tell you which one I more closely relate to and which one really helped change and reframe my thoughts of Christianity and the church. 
But we are to see all four of these. Why? Because not all people you're going to encounter are the same type of people. So these four different job descriptions, if you will, are, are there's different people that will be involved in those four different types of jobs. And the four are the farmer, the fisherman, the ambassador, and the royal priest. And as we build up and build on our fresh identity as sent people, as disciples of Christ, we will find, once we get a hold of these today, you're going to find that you'll be able to walk into rooms and walk into moments with more confidence and more authority uh, and, and fear will begin to fade. How many would love to see that happen? It's a powerful, powerful truth. So it's so a little bit more detail. Look at the, far, the hardworking farmer. Sows, plows, plants, harvests. The patient fisherman baits, casts, and catches. The confident ambassador represents, delivers a message, and informs. And the authoritative royal priest blesses and teaches God's word. Let's look at the hardworking farmer. Look at Luke chapter eight, verses four through eight. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed and as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Another, other seeds fell among the rocks and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. So Jesus is telling this story and the disciples are a little dense, some of them. You know, Luke was probably the smartest one. He was a doctor. And, and all these other guys were like, we don't know what that means. And he's like, oh my God. You know, like, and so Jesus goes, I'm just, I'm just going to explain it to you. And that, that's how good Jesus is, by the way. If so, you read something in the Bible, you're like, I don't know what that means. Just tell him, I don't know what that means. And there will be, he will 100% of the time bring someone to you or you will hear something that explains it. I promise you, just ask him. Jesus says in verse 11, this is the meaning of the story, dudes. The seed is God's word. Notice it has nothing to do with your personality or your communication ability or your salesmanship. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing it and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a little while. They go to a small group for a little while and then they fall away when temptation returns. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and sports schedules of their children and the pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. That word maturity there in the Greek starts with the, the root of emotional maturity. Would you say that our country is emotionally mature? 
at this moment. So they never grow into emotional or spiritual maturity. And then there's seeds that fall on good soil. And that represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, they cling to it, which means in Greek that they, they conform their life to it. it. means they come under God's word, not telling God's word, bless my mistakes and mess and disobedience. No, I'm going to organize my life and come under submission to God's word. They cling to it and then it patient, and they wait patiently and it produces a huge harvest. So we've got thorny soil, rocky soil, hard soil, and good soil. And the job of the hardworking farmer is to prepare the soil of a person's heart. Even according to scripture, now I'm no mathematician. I just went to Bible school. But we have a 75% chance that you're talking to people who are currently not good soil. And I would say maybe even today's cultural climate it's even higher. So don't be surprised when you're talking to somebody and they have questions. Or they're like, well, I just don't know if I believe that. Or you help somebody and they come to church and then they start to fall away after three, four months. Don't be surprised by that. But when, when there, there are the 25% where you share Jesus with them, they come to church, the kids get saved, grandma gets saved, everybody gets saved baptizing the whole family, Uncle Johnny gets saved, and, and you know, Cousin Ricky gets saved, and the aunt with the lazy eye gets saved, and everybody's getting saved, and they come and get baptized. That, that, celebrate God for that, but it is rare. Most of the time, the cares of life, old temptations, our job is to walk with them through that and know what's going on in the soil, prepare the soil. The job of the hardworking farmer is to prepare the soil. So what does that mean? It means to add depth to shallow understanding, to remove rocks of disbelief, cynicism, and a worldview that doesn't line up with Scripture, and then remove the weeds to expose the holes. I took a big dandelion weed out of my St. Augustine the other day, and it left a big old hole. And, and that, if you think about it, that those holes are idolatry, worry, frustration, pleasures of life, and simple sin itself. The farmer always asks the question, what kind of soil am I dealing with here? Now, since I am of the age where I usually only talk about weather, football, and lawns, this is uh, pretty, pretty funny. I, I subscribe to this fertilizer thing. And, um, and in order to start this process, you have to give them a soil sample. And I had to ship it off to Texas A&M, so I was already debating if they're going to even know what they're doing. So, <laughs> hook them horns. Sent it off to Texas A&M, and um, they sent it back and said, your soil is good. And I was like, yes. Only time I've liked an Aggie. And I was like, well... They said, now here's what you need to do though. You need more nitrogen. You need a little more soluble potash. You need a little bit. I was like, okay. So I Google, I'll learn about it and really went like dad mode on this lawn. And, but I had to know what I was dealing with or you're going to waste time and thousands of dollars, which is what I did in the backyard. 
Now, between my children and our German short-haired pointer puppy, I no longer have a backyard. So if you come over and I shut the blinds real fast, it's because I'm embarrassed. The farmer always asks, so what kind of soil am I dealing with? Because you can't move forward unless you know that. If you're, if you're talking to somebody like they understand what you're talking about and they have no clue what you're talking about because the affairs of life have choked them out, then you're wasting time and they're feeling guilty. You gotta know who you're talking to. Is their heart ready to hear about Jesus at that moment or do they just need you to care? We create a landscape for the soul. So the hardworking farmer does. Do our, basically, let's say it this way. Do our words, do our attitudes, and do our behavior help cultivate the soil of a person's heart? Or do we plant weeds and toss rocks into the soil of their hearts? And I just told you about how I'm helping my lawn, and the reason I did that, the reason I took control of the lawn is because I had a lawn company before that that was in I had given trusted authority to this company to take care of my fourth child. Not only did they not take care of my beautiful St. Augustine, they killed it all. Because there was a new employee, did not know what they were doing, and I walked outside, and the guy that we had been using for a year that knew what he was doing left to go work in the oil field, and I, and I missed that guy because the next guy, they came, they killed my lawn. I went out there and they had a sprayer. And I was like, what are you spraying? And they were like, fertilizer. I'm like, that's not fertilizer. Stop spraying the bottle. And I called the boss and he's like, they're not spraying anything. Took a picture, sent it to him. They're doing it right now. They had put weed killer all over my lawn. It kills grass too. Killed my entire lawn. And so went back and forth with them for a while to make them buy me new grass. But they thought they were helping, but it was killing. You gotta know what you're dealing with, what you have in the bottle. You gotta know who you're talking to. The hardworking farmer does not wanna do anything to harm the soil of a person's heart. So be smart about that. Number two, is the patient fisherman. They call it fishing, not catching. I do most fishing, a lot less catching. Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishermen or sent people intentionally go where the fish are. They know the type of fish and they know what bait to use. I'm not talking about bait in a negative sense. That word has a negative connotation, but you gotta know that person so you can speak their language. I just was blessed to go on a trip with some other pastor friends in town, and we were in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we went fishing in Coeur d'Alene, and the guy that was with us, he's been living in Coeur d'Alene forever, and you know we're on his fishing boat, and you know, I'm doing my thing and, you know, we've caught, you know, a couple of fish and uh, it, it, was, it was fun. It was beautiful out there and we're, we're just casting and talking, casting and talking. And then he said, hey, Landon, look, look in that water right there. I'm like, yeah, I, I, it looks like a big rock. And he's like, yeah, but he goes, I'll, I'll bet you money 
that if you threw this bait over that rock and then jumped the bait onto the rock and flopped the bait down onto the ground and then jerked it and wiggled it, something comes out. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I'm just hot. <laughs> you know, I'm, like, just, I'm like, all right, dude, fine. He puts the bait on. I throw it over. You guys already know where this is going. Jump it on the rock, dumped it down, and he goes, now jerk it and wiggle it. A five-pound smallmouth bass came zooming out from under that rock and took a hold of my bait, and I caught it. And he just sat there. You boys from Texas think you know a lot, don't you? I was like, now you can shut up. All right, and now you're going in the water. I don't care if it's your boat. Uh, but, but the point of that story is he knew exactly what bait to use, what fish was under there, and what to do about it because he was looking. When you and I are in spiritual conversations, we gotta know where we are in that conversation. What part of the lake are you on in that moment? It, when we are in those conversations, the, the thing, it, it's like if God can use Moses, who was a stutterer, and if God can use a donkey and speak through a Balaam's donkey, if God can use any, if God can use anyone and, and speak through them through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to keep doing that through you. And you're not gonna say it perfectly. You're not gonna say it right. You're, you're, you're gonna fumble over your words and your heart's gonna race faster. You're gonna feel like you totally botched it. But guess what? You might be the only person who's had a spiritual conversation with them in their life that wasn't at their door with a piece of paper. It might change everything for them. And so it's sometimes, you know, it's as simple as bringing up in the conversation with somebody, hey, I read the coolest thing in scripture today uh, and it said this. It brings in the spiritual conversation. Of course, you have to read the Bible to be able to say that. The patient fisherman sometimes has to wait for years with a hook in the water. Has to wait for a very long time. It's about being present with people while God works. So I threw the bait over the rock, hit it on the rock, which it was a good cast. I'm not going to lie. The dude was like, dang. I was like, I know. I know. Threw it over and caught the fish. Well, then we go down about 100 yards, and he tells the other pastor that was on the boat, he says, hey, take this bait and throw it over there. I guarantee you there's a pike over there, which are like, you know, big old, they're, and we don't have them here, but they're, they're really cool fish to catch. They're fun. They fight hard. It's fun to catch. We see a giant pike come right by the boat, you know, right by, you know, probably 20 yards. He throws the bait over the pike. Pike doesn't move. The bait hits the pike. He rolls the bait over the pike. The pike turns and looks at it and swims away real slow, like, nice try. And I was like, that's funny because it worked for me. You hit the fish that he hates you. Like, it's, it was, I felt really good about myself in that moment. But it's about being patient and waiting. Sometimes you feel like it's right there and it doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean you won't catch it tomorrow or a year from now. It's about being patient while God works. This next one was the one that significantly helped me personally. Look at the confident ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's, say it out loud, 
Say it like you're awake. As though God were making the appeal through us. Sounds so official. Everyone look under your chair. There's a name tag. Just kidding. It removes. What I love about the confident ambassador is that it removes the pressure of having to come up with original ideas or personal opinions about Jesus. You're just simply an ambassador. So as a communicator, as a preacher, I was like, okay, what am I gonna talk about? Like trying to prepare it like it's a sermon. No, it's just, I'm just in the conversation. I'm making myself available and I'll let God speak. And if I, if I fumble, I'll just tell him, hey, I'm not explaining this well, like, but here's what my heart means. Here's what I read in scripture. Just allowing God to be part of the conversation because I, I was released of that pressure of having to say the right thing when I realized that ambassadors simply serve their sending country. They don't speak on their own behalf or of their own opinion. They simply share the opinions of their leader and the writings of their leader. Christ has left us on earth as delegates of our true home to bring a message. We are simply bearers of good news. That's all. It's not more complicated than that. Ambassadors receive regular instruction from their leader and are current on their leader's goals. They, they know what their leader wants, they know what the leader wants to say, and they go and give it, and they know the message that they are to deliver. So when I feel overwhelmed by a question from someone uh, or if we're discussing something controversial, I don't have to be as intelligent as someone like Jordan Peterson to have a conversation with someone about the Bible. I could never be as intelligent <laughs> as someone like that. I can't see through the questions like that. And so when I get in conversations like that and they're like, well, yeah, what about this? I'm like, you know, man, like all I know is I was depressed and wanted to die and then I met Jesus. It changed my life. Now hundreds of people are coming to a church in a cafeteria because Jesus is changing their life. And I don't know what to tell you because it ain't sexy around here and they just keep showing up. So if you don't think that's powerful, I don't know what to tell you, but I know that God changed my life and I can help you figure that out if you want. But if you're asking me to be an intellectual and prove it to you, I can't, I'm stupid. And they're like, Literally said it to a guy on an airplane. He's like, I'm not as smart as you, so I'm not even going to go there with you because you're going to make me look stupid. I just don't know. All I know is that this is where I was. I met a man named Jesus. He filled me with the Holy Spirit, and my life has never been the same. That's what I do know. And they're like, they can't argue that because it's your story. It's my truth, if you will. And in that way, I called them on their own ideology. When I feel overwhelmed, I'd go back to the simplicity that I'm just here to deliver a message. Number four, the authoritative royal priest. First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, God places you in moments where you are to pronounce and explain God's word to others. That will happen. 
And as a royal priest, that means you are going to be walking into situations that can sometimes be dark. But you're walking in with the truth and the light in your life. And God wants to use that in you to to bring heaven to that moment. Bring heaven to that conversation. So imagine if the room you're walking into is chaotic. At that moment, God's wanting you as a royal priest to bring the anointing of peace to the moment. If, if there's confusion, you're bringing clarity to the moment. If, if you're bringing simplicity, back to number three, to the moment. You're, if, there's, if there's hopelessness and despondency, you're bringing joy and hope to the moment. A royal priest brings something to the moment that doesn't yet exist. And as a sent person, we carry God's word in our hearts and it will create spaces for conversation every single day if you'll let it. The royal priest knows that God's word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It carries power. May you say it this way, it is power. The royal priest knows that their words don't carry any power. It's the words that they're speaking that carry power from the word of God. And then trusting the power of the word of God to change a heart. Charles Spurgeon said that Christians are to be walking Bibles. Look at this quote. If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. Men's words may seem to be wiser and more attractive, but there is no heavenly life in them. You might be the only life that person experiences on a regular basis. And you let God do the rest. The Bible says that God grows the church. You and I can't grow it. Even if we tried, even even if we made the church as appealing and as cool as possible, we would just be a revolving door for church hoppers that want entertained, which is not an option for us. We let God grow the church. We let God do his job. We just take a step of the natural and we bring the anointing and the peace and the joy and the hope to situations We bring a reverence for the word of God. Revival starts with repentance and reverence every time. And as you move in in, and learn about these four titles and job descriptions of a disciple, you'll begin to find yourself growing in confidence. You'll begin to find yourself in conversations and in moments, and you'll begin to think, which one am I right now? Am I a farmer? Is there something I need to plug in? Am I a fisherman? Am I, am I, is this a moment where the ambassador needs to speak a message? Is this a moment where the royal priest needs to bring a a different anointing to the conversation? Sometimes it might be more than one in the moment, but now that it's even on your radar, you'll feel more equipped to have a conversation. The words are never going to be perfect, so just let that go. Share what Jesus has done for you. Like we talked about last week, if the gospel is truly good news for you, then you'll want to share it. So in order to do this, we need someone. We need something to help, and that is a supernatural power. Luke's second writing uh, is the book of Acts. The end of Luke is actually the beginning of Acts. They shoved John in there when they made the canon of Scripture, but Luke and Acts are the same thing. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here is the knowledge you need. You will receive power. So it doesn't say, here's the knowledge you need. You need to read Evangelism 101. You need this. You need that. You need this master class. Watch this TED Talk. It just says, here's the knowledge you need. 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. First here in your HOA, then to Cibolo, then to the furthest places of the earth, which is Austin. <laughs> See, Jesus' first charge to the new church wasn't to get to work, it was wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you because he knew that they couldn't be walking Bibles. They couldn't be, um, they couldn't be a sent person apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Bill Bright said, share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. So when you and I are completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit in our lives, our conversations matter more, our days are filled with adventure and expectation, wondering what God's gonna do next or who he wants us to speak to today. Our marriages can now be on mission rather than on life support. Our homes can be places where people gather to feel peace because the Spirit of God is in you. And now our lives are abundant. See, abundant living doesn't mean that everything is circumstantially perfect for you and that you're loaded and wealthy and have everything you want. That's not what abundant life means. Abundant life means that you are moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and, hum and hundreds of lives will be forever changed and you'll never meet them. But because of that one conversation you had, that family tree's name changed definition because you were a sent person. So when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not an altar call. You can start there. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the Spirit getting more of you. You were given the Spirit of God at salvation, but being completely surrendered is the daily surrender of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So your commanded first step after salvation is water baptism, which is coming up actually. Next week, we have baptisms, y'all. Next week after second service, we have baptisms. So if you've never been immersed in water and come up in front of your peers and family as a declared Christian, next week is your day. And there's an FAQ section on the website. If you're sprinkled as a baby, that's great. Praise God, your parents dedicated you, but that was not baptism. So if you want to take the public profession of faith as baptized as an adult, then that is what next week is about, and it's so fun. The devil gets so many black eyes. It's one of my favorite days ever. And so let's celebrate together next week, and then you're able to start taking steps with the Lord because guess what? The Holy Spirit directs you and empowers you. And as a... a, a a Christian, a publicly professed Christian, now you're under the submission of God's word and the Holy Spirit will now direct you and empower you. So allow this process to take place instead of allowing sin and self-effort to be in control. It's just like the old song says, just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. It's a step forward in closeness with him. That's all. It's simple. And the closer you walk to somebody, the more you're around somebody, the more you know their voice. 
I could be at a football game and hear Kelly laugh and know she's in section G, row four. Because I know her. The closer you are to Christ, you know what he sounds like. And then he'll speak through you. And when we do this, guys, when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and a daily decision to be filled, and that even the word filled in the Greek tense is, means daily continuance. So it's not just a one-time altar call. Nothing weird's gonna happen. No one's gonna blow you over. No, nothing's gonna happen like that. It's simply a question of, do you want to be empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit or not? It's a, it's a conscious decision to say, more of you and less of me. One of my prayers every day is that God would give me wisdom and understanding and discernment beyond my years and experience. I pray that every single day. And then I pray that the Holy Spirit would crucify my flesh and fill me yet again. I pray that every single day. And, and, I, and I want the same for you, that you would be filled. Because when we're not filled, guys, we isolate. We do things on our own power. We actually begin to make major life decisions without any wisdom. We do things out of raw grit and self-effort. And then we look back and blame God saying, why did you leave me? He didn't go anywhere. We ran away. Don't hold anything back. These moments that you have right now, the purpose is within reach. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to go ahead and come on down and the band to come on out. So we get ready to move into response time. Everyone go ahead and stand to your feet as well. Your best life of purpose is within reach, even today. But we must approach our life of surrender in two ways. Number one, confess any and all sin to God. If there's something that's blocking the spirit from working, we need to confess it today. And guess what? If you gotta confess it every single day or every single time, you do it. You do it. You, you move forward. You confess it. You take steps. And you will let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And then number two is surrender every area of our lives to Christ. If there's a part of our lives where you've sat in the passenger seat and Jesus is driving and you grab the wheel and you take this exit, not only is that not dangerous, or not only is that dangerous, like we need to let go. However embarrassing it might be, however hard it might be. Surrender, as we started today, is the lifestyle of a sent person. And then by faith, we trust that Jesus knows where he's going. Because he does every single time. The prayer partners are here, as I said before, to pray with you about anything. And the first thing they wanna pray with you about is if you are ready to confess your sin and become a Christian, to have your soul saved this Christian life is not something that is just a good set of ideas to help you live a good moral life. No, that's actually uh, called secular humanism. That is not, it's nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is, the Bible says in the New Testament that you are now dead. 
that, there, that you have died to yourself and you only want what he wants. Are you gonna be perfect when you leave here? Heck no, you will not be perfect. So let your spouse off the hook. They're not gonna change when they get in the car. You might even have a fight on the way home. You just got saved. I mean, it's like you might, it might happen. It's okay. It's normal. It's a process. Even the word saved is sozo. In the, in the tense it's written, it's, it's a continuous daily deepening of your faith. But there is a decision moment that starts it where, you've, where you, your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life and hell has been plundered and you have a new citizenship. That can happen today. If you've never made that decision before, today's your day. You just come up here and tell them, I'm ready to be saved. And they will pray a prayer of faith with you and you will leave here with your last name now changed forever. And then you need to ask too, where have you grabbed the wheel? Is it with your job? Have you grabbed the wheel and stopped listening to wisdom and listening to people? Is it with your kids? Have you asked God how to parent that crazy child? Have you, are you, are you grabbing the wheel? Have you Googled more than you've prayed about that kid? Where are you grabbing the wheel? Just ask him. Is it with something really deep with a family member that you just can't figure out and you're trying to control? Where are you grabbing the wheel? And then number three, where does Jesus want to move in your life or what does he want to do in you that you're not allowing him to do? And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you and I want you to think through those things. Do you need salvation? Do you need to come up here and pray that that you would release control, whatever it is, Jesus is here to meet with you in this moment. And so for the, just the next five to seven minutes, we're gonna have response time. Come down and get communion. They will, pray, they will tell you your sins are forgiven. Come down here, receive salvation, receive prayer. Prayer for anything, by the way, not just the sermon topic. If you need prayer for anything, do not leave here today without having prayer over that situation that you know you're thinking about right now. How many believe there is power in prayer? So come down here and get some prayer and allow the supernatural to begin to move when you take a natural step, amen? Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord in this moment. God, right now, we ask for your Holy Spirit to begin to show us the next steps. God, we will take a step in the natural and we will see the supernatural take place. And it's not going to be weird. It's not going to be scary. It's going to feel genuine and authentic because that's who you are. That is your spirit. That's what you do. And God, in this moment, I pray that every chain of, of self-righteousness be broken, every hindrance or blockade of fear that would hinder someone from coming down here and saying yes would be removed. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would break chains today that everything that's been holding us back would be removed in this moment of surrender. So Lord, we say thank you. And we say yes to you in your process in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. The band's gonna lead us now through a song. You're now free to come and respond. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.